0: Lit Service is brought to you by Writer's Clearinghouse. Writer's Clearinghouse empowers authors and agents by providing low-cost, professional evaluations of entire manuscripts that tell you exactly where your manuscript stands and what you can do to improve it. To learn more, visit www.writersch.com. Listeners of Lit Service will receive 20% off an evaluation by using the code LITSERVICE20 at purchase. Now here's the show.
1: Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Aaliyah, and my favorite fight scene that has to be said is between Wesley and Inigo Montoya in The Princess Bride.
0: My name is Caitlin. I don't really like fight scenes, so this is a really hard (laughs) question.
2: Your book
0: um, is full of them. <laughs> I know, and when I first started writing it was the worst. I was like, I have to make people kill each other. My favorite, I really love choreographed marble fight scenes in movies. They're amazing and beautiful. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Those are my favorite fight scenes, all of them.
3: I'm Cameron, and I'm going to have to go with the Gandalf v. Balrog at the beginning of Peter Jackson's Two Towers.
0: Hmm.
2: Hey, I'm Kristen, and my favorite fight scene has to be when Will Turner and Jack Sparrow
4: meet each other and fight beautifully to music. You're not I- a eunuch. <laughs> I'm Trisha Levenseller, and my favorite fight scene is probably Duel of the Fates from Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Ooh, good mm-hmm. classic. I'm teaching a whole class on it. I'm excited. So,
1: yes, we have Tricia Levenseller here. And thank you for coming on. We're so excited. Thanks for having me, guys. guys.
4: Thank Cheers. you. Midnight <laughs> to love it.
1: Okay, Trisha is the author of Daughter of the Pirate King, Daughter of the Siren Queen, and the forthcoming Warrior of the Wild. Tell us about your new book, Tricia.
4: Oh, boy. Okay, Where of the Wild comes out a week from Tuesday, and it is about a girl who is banished from her village after she fails her coming-of-age trial. And um, in this society, they give these failures these impossible quests to complete with the intention that they will die while trying to complete them, and they do this to try and gain their honor. And her quest is to go and kill the village's god. So she has to kill a god.
1: Wow. Ooh, so definitely yes. good fight scene material. Yes. And she's
4: cast out to, like, the monster-filled wild wilderness, so there's... Monster fight scenes, there's God fight scenes. There's there's fight scenes aplenty. <laughs>
1: very cool. Okay, so check out her book launch. I believe it's going to be at the Provo Library February 26th at 7 p.m. So that yes. is coming up soon.
4: Yes, I'm very excited. And I will be joined with Charlie Holmberg. So if you like Charlie's stuff, she's also launching her book at the event. So it'll be super fun. Fantastic.
1: Okay, so since we have Trisha here today, we wanted to talk about fight scenes. All about fight scenes, how to do them, how not to do them, what makes them exciting. So let's start out then with a basic question. What makes a good fight scene? What are the key elements that you need?
4: To just jump right in, uh, tension and stakes. Very, very important, right? Emotion, balance, your clarity and your blocking in the scene, and then uniqueness and what I like to call the cool factor. One of the things
0: that I was thinking of with fight scenes, I'm not a natural fight scene writer at all, even though there's lots of fighting in all of my books. I feel like the most important thing for me in a fight scene is the stakes. And, like, not even just life or death stakes. There needs to be meaning to a fight. I think you see fight scenes at the beginning of books sometimes that don't have any relevance to anything else. And so it's really hard to care about what's happening in those fight scenes. So I love fight scenes that, like, establish character or that that force your characters into difficult positions because it, it means something to them it's important to them what's
4: happening well, Oh, and real quick i meant to preface this by also saying everything we're going to talk about also applies to kissing scenes <laughs> so keep right. that in mind while we're talking <laughs> about it you plot them the exact same way with the exact same elements
3: <laughs> so so talking about fight scenes as a way to reveal characters, I would if your fight scene isn't revealing a lot of character about your characters, you've done something very wrong. When you have a character and they're in mortal peril, nothing should reveal more about your character than that kind of situation. Mm-hmm. So if you could just replace your character with any other random schmuck in the fight scene, you need to seriously examine everything about it
0: and not just like capacity to fight but like what's happening in their head Mm -hmm.
3: exactly and like the choices they make when faced with life or death decisions what do they run with we're kind of speaking of life or death decisions because we also mentioned stakes earlier um i wanted to throw in that at least for me most of my favorite fight scenes have stakes that are beyond life and death because generally speaking you're not i I don't believe that a character i care about is going to die Especially if there's like lots of pages left in the book. And then even if it's at the conclusion, it's like, yeah, you're not really going to kill a character nine times out of ten. And then even if you do, they're probably going to come back. So that's like not, not a great source of tension to me.
0: I feel like you have to make it hard for your characters, though. I know that there are more pages in the book. And so I assume that the main character is not going to die. But I want to doubt it for a little while. I want to get to the very edge of well, maybe this author does kill off the main character. I don't know. It needs to be hard for them because I feel like watching a character just skate right through a fight scene isn't that much fun.
4: The stakes can be bigger though than just the character dying though. Sometimes uh, the best fight scenes come from the stakes being bigger. You know, if this character dies, maybe we lose the entire war. Or if this character dies,
0: if if the main bad. character but, dies, then all the people they're trying to help won't. Get yeah, out, they won't. Or, they won't
4: get. They won't win their rebellion. They won't. They won't get whatever it is that they're achieving. So I think really good stakes don't come from is the character going to live, but how the heck are they gonna get out of the situation? Mm -hmm. I think another good question to ask is how is the character going to live with the consequences of what they've
2: done, which is a great time to pull in the trilogy I always pull in, which is (laughs) the Winner's Trilogy. (laughs) But there's a really great fight scene at the end where one of the characters potentially might kill his true love's dad, and he has to figure out if that's something that is going to work out for his relationship. And I was really invested in that because it felt so
4: much more important than... That's exactly the the example I needed, so thank you. It felt (laughs) more important than life or death. Yes, more important than life or death. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, And I feel like tension and stakes really come from, one, the relationship between the two characters. So take a look at Darth Vader and Luke fighting, right? The tension comes from the relationship between those two characters. And then, as we already stated, it comes from what happens if they fail, right? Luke is the last Jedi. If he fails, who do we have to go against the dark side?
0: Actually, a lot of Star Wars fights in those early ones, there's not a lot of fighting that happens. They kind of hold their lightsabers and are like, "Mm."
4: oh my gosh, don't even get me started on the new Star Wars movies. The fight scenes are horrible. A lot of people are gonna argue with me on this, but the best fight scenes in Star Wars are in the prequels. One through three. Just because we don't like the prequels doesn't mean we the the fight scenes. Yeah, the fight scenes are the best. They're so boring in the new Star Wars movies, but we can talk about that later. You're
3: you're killing Kristen over here, just
1: just Just a little bit.
4: Kristen, you're gonna lose. I'll fight you on this.
1: So this is an excellent transition. Then just to take a minute and talk about blunders. What are some of the classic pitfalls of? new writers and action scenes. What are the problems we run
4: into? Sometimes I think a lot of people want to start their book with a fight scene. And you can't, it's not necessarily that you can't do this, but it's really hard to get that tension because you don't have any buildup yet. There's no, um, There's no relationship between the characters yet. You don't know who you're supposed to root for unless it's in first person. Then you probably have an idea that you're supposed to root for the narrating character. And then you don't know what's going to happen if the character fails yet. So you can start with a fight scene at the beginning of the book, but you're not going to have that tension yet, if that makes sense. So real good fight scenes have to be foreshadowed and they have to be built up toward.
3: Especially if you're at the beginning of a book, you haven't had... By definition, any time to become invested in the characters that are fighting. So it's really hard to have an emotional connection to how the fight ends. And if you don't care about that, then the fight just becomes boring.
0: I think that's kind of what I was trying to say earlier that I didn't articulate very well. That if you do have a fight scene or an action scene at the beginning of a book, like it's in the beginning of Six of Crows, there's some fighting that yeah. happens there, but the point of it is to show character and it is not I am not yeah. tied to any concept It's not about the
4: action and the yeah. blocking and everything. It's exactly. about character and revealing that. Yeah. When I was working for
2: A Plus B Works, the literary agency, something I saw all the time was that people in fight scenes would just lose track of the point of view they were telling the story in and would start giving details that made no sense for their narrator to be seeing in that situation. And so I think point of view is something where people tend to mess up or blunder.
0: I think that that's true. Like you either have people who are out of body POV, like they're head jumping or they're They're, like you're saying, they're relating things that aren't happening from the character's point of view. But you also have the problem where if you have too narrow of a point of view, see, this is going to confuse people because I'm like, don't be too narrow and don't be too wide. But if it's like (laughs) super narrow, then it's almost like shaky cam where you don't know what's happening anywhere because any one person in like a big fight is only going to see one tiny part of it.
1: Agreed. And, you know, if you study really good fight scenes, picture the fight scenes you love most in a novel. You read through it. They kind of go in and out sometimes they show you the big picture sometimes they show you the little picture but they're always tied with the same povs that's really important
3: to be clear i don't think we're saying that you can't have confusion in fight scenes but that you can't be con but that you can't be confused about your confusion it should be (laughs) intentional (laughs) intentionally (laughs) misleading maybe so so this is where i'm gonna make i'm gonna make my segue to probably the most random mention we've ever made in a podcast so if anyone's not heard of zombies run it's an audio book that's tied to a distance tracker and you use that to motivate yourself to run anyway. It, the storytelling is fantastic. It, this was like 20 minutes of the most intense audiobook I've ever listened to yesterday. But the gist of it is you have five or six characters that you've been invested in forever. You not really believing any of them are gonna die because they've been invested forever, but we have the addition of this baby that they've spent the last few hours of the podcast building up the emotional attachment of all the characters to it. When the baby's finally born, and then basically we spend 20 minutes of hot potato where it gets kidnapped by, I kid you not, like four different parties. And, but it's believable and there's all this confusion going on like, what the heck is going on? By the time you get to the third time someone else has kidnapped the thing, you're like, what the heck? So there's all this confusion, but it's obvious the confusion is intentional and it is so tense. I think <laughs>
0: one more thing that authors um, have a hard time with, I think, in fight scenes, which we kind of touched on at the beginning, is blocking.
4: Um, just going to bring that up.
0: Yeah, um, blocking is so important, especially in fight scenes and authors that like to play with words and have beautiful language a lot of times will clog up fight scenes with descriptions and things like that when really we just need to know like exactly what is happening in very bald language because otherwise it gets really clogged up and a fight scene should move really fast. And so if, if it takes a long time to read and it takes a long time to even understand what's happening, instead of saying he cut off the person's head, you say there was a long arc with a red spray, you know, if you get too much into <laughs> to it, your reader will get lost and also will not understand what's happening.
4: Building off of that uh, balance is also super important. Balancing dialogue with action and balancing blow by blow versus more generalizations. There aren't any hard and fast rules for how you can find this balance, but just read your own work over very carefully and read it out loud so that you can find those beats and figure out where you need to speed things up and maybe where you need to slow it down. Like the fight scene is still happening, it's still very fast, but you can slow things down versus with your blow by blow versus your generalizations. You know, Mm -hmm. they kept at it for the next 10 minutes versus, and then he thrust, and he parried.
3: So maybe you can say, so in my mind, how close to blow by blow you're allowed to get is linked to how important each and every blow is. If it matters that I block the exact next strike, then it's okay to describe it. Otherwise, why do I care? I'm gonna kind of bring in a counter example. So there's a series I really like, which when I describe it as the post-apocalypse with vampires instead of zombies, that will surprise no one who knows me. So there's some really great fight scenes in those books, but there's these other ones where it's the vampire protagonist versus swarms of these zombie creatures. And by the fourth one, I just don't care anymore because I know she's this kick-butt vampire assassin with a katana and the zombies don't pose a threat. So at that point, I feel like the blow-by-blows are not useful anymore because there's no tension in it.
1: Well, that brings up a really good point because we, we love action scenes because there's a lot of action happening. And I think what you're saying is the action doesn't necessarily need to be physical. That we need to weave in mental action and emotional action as well in there. What are some other tips we have for overcoming that blocking or pacing in action scenes? Get a writing group. I mean,
2: have, <laughs> have people read your work and read it specifically looking for how the fight scene is working. Um, read it yourself with an eye only on point of view for one read through, and then an eye only on pacing for one read through. You're probably going to hate your own writing by the end of it, but it will definitely be improved.
0: If you work on anything for very long, you'll end up hating it, so that's like the lot of an author, is is writing something and loving it, and then having to read it 10,000 more times and then hating it by the end. Trisha, I actually had a question about your rule of cool, or whatever you called it. (laughs) My cool factor? Cool factor, Okay. Mm -hmm. Something that I
2: always wonder about with with books and writing is when is awesome too awesome? Do you have to balance- Is there any it?
4: such thing as too awesome? If it's like a guy
2: in high school who's 14 and getting in a fist fight, if he starts doing like ninja flips, I'm gonna think that's oh, weirdly okay. awesome. So how yes. do you balance it with believability? Okay,
4: so my example for this in my Star Wars class that I'm teaching is in Star Wars One, where Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are going to be ambassadors, right? For the Republic to, to, to negotiate the treaty, right? and the bad guys try to like smoke them out of that room and then they come out and they're trying to get to the main deck of the ship and they close those blast doors and Qui-Gon just shoves his saber into the doors, right? And then they, they close even more layers and the lightsaber is still melting through they the are doors. They are still getting through, exactly. <laughs> and right there you start to get goosebumps because the music rises and you're just like, that's the cool factor, right? So we know that these guys are awesome with the lightsabers. We know that they can do cool things. So you're putting them against more impossible odds and then having them rise through with their already known abilities, I guess is what it comes to. So even if you have this kick butt vampire person going against a bunch of zombies, to use your example, are they injured? Is that going to make it harder for them to fight? Are they so outnumbered that it's going to make it impossible to fight? Is it dark? Can they not see a thing? So I think it's a matter of matching your character against a more impossible situation versus rising their coolness, if that makes sense. Or putting them outside of their own element. Yes,
3: yes. I think like a really cool case study you could make of taking a character's trajectory and using that to build up to an amazing fight scene could be Vin from um, Sanderson's Mistborn mm-hmm. series. At the beginning of the series, the idea of fighting even in single Inquisitor is it's a death sentence, it's suicide. Even the best person around is like nervous about doing it. And then you get to the point at the end of the trilogy where she's going to fight all of them at the same time. And I, I, I guess I speak for myself and I believed it and it was and it was cool.
0: I think that that's awesome if you can pull it off, but sometimes I think that you can shoot yourself in the foot trying to do that. Like you have, well, so to, I have to point
3: out, it took three books, yeah. three Sanderson size books Right. <laughs> right, right <laughs> yeah. to get to the point where that was. believable. Yeah.
0: You can't make that jump in like a couple of chapters, training sequ- sequence later. You right. Know? Like you it's not, it's up. not a
3: training sequence that yeah. made that possible. It's, saving the world for three years. Right.
4: So I'd like to pose a question to the group, if I may. Something that I get asked a lot that I'd like to ask you guys is, how do you be unique? We've seen a sword fight a bazillion times before, so how do you bring out the uniqueness in your fight scene? I
0: mean, nothing is new. I mean, there's so many books out there that every idea has been written, every general storyline has been written. There isn't anything that's like really, really, really new. I think that the reason that fight scenes resonate with your reader is because of the personal character and stakes and whatever else that's going on. That's the same with any story. Like that's how I feel about it.
3: It's the context that makes it. <laughs> Caitlin the fight says there is
0: no
4: uniqueness. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is how, I mean, there is uniqueness because every book is different because it's written by a different person and it's about different characters. But a lot of stories are the same and a lot of fight scenes are the same. I mean, with two swords, how much can you do? I mean, maybe Trisha that's can do not a lot the of questions or answer I was like,
3: Caitlin, <laughs> but
1: that's okay. <laughs> well, I think it's exactly like what Cameron said. Um, it's, it's all about, um, did you say perspective? What did you just Uh, say? Context. Context. All about context. We've been through fight scenes before, but we've never been through fight scenes with this person. We've Mm -hmm. never experienced their trauma. And, um, you know, a fight scene with someone who's a hardened killer is going to be different than going through a fight scene with someone who maybe is just coming out of high school and, and runs into a bad situation. Um, so it's, it's really like you have been saying it's about the characterization. That makes the fight scenes unique, I think.
3: Which kind of goes back to why a fight scene as the beginning of a novel is so hard to pull off because the context just isn't there yet.
1: We're about out of time for this section of the podcast. Does anyone have any final comments?
4: Uh, I just want to add in really quick that foreshadowing is key to your fight scenes. Oh crap, I had an example for this and I totally just forgot it. No, has anybody seen The Swan Princess? Of course. Oh my gosh. Okay, so Catch and Fire. Yeah, so at one scene in the book, they're just practicing, right? And you've got Brom and he's got the shaky arrow and he fires at Derek who has to spin around and catch the arrow and shoot it back and hit the apple on the top of his head. And then later at the end of the movie when there's the monster and Derek's not padded in armor and everything, Brom does the exact same thing, right? And we know they can do it because we've seen him do it before. So that's just one example of foreshadowing and how effective it is and how it makes that scene just so much more powerful.
1: I love that, that is such a good movie. Good I example. I love that movie. Okay, well, now we get to move on to another fun section of the podcast where we get to critique a submission. So a quick review, we try to keep this non-prescriptive, but if you'd like to check out the text of the submission and see all of our notes, check out our website, litservicepodcast.wixsite.com slash litnation. If you would like a first chapter critique from us, you can find our submission guidelines there. So, a brief summary of this submission. Hulita runs away from her deadbeat brother after he gives her a mysterious necklace. The necklace makes her black out twice during AP English and see a scary, dripping, clawed hand. The cute boy in front of her seems to know something about it. What are some things that we liked from this submission? The
4: voice was very good, very distinct, very fun.
1: I liked how this submission used really small details,
2: like like her Hogwarts sweater, right, to tell us what type of person Julita is. Julita's observations about the worlds were really enjoyable to read.
0: Kristen totally stole mine. I really loved how it was really in POV and in voice and allowed us to not only see what kind of person she was, but what she thought about the people around her. Like she has this great description of her brother about his slicked black hair with shaved ridiculous patterns into the side, which he thinks looks so cool. That says so much about their relationship and about them. In your first chapter, it's so important to do characterizations and descriptions that do double duty. And that was really good.
4: The first page alone had a really good buildup. You always want your first few sentences or paragraphs to make the character ask a question that they need to know the answer to. She starts off by saying, my deadbeat brother is after me. And you're like, okay, why is he after her? Why is she avoiding him? Like, you want to know the answer. And really good first pages do that. They entice readers to keep reading because they want to know something. The submission did that.
1: Agreed. Some lines I especially liked with that. The main character says to her brother, a brother could do it, but you can't. I thought that was great. And then there's so much family tension. She says, you're disowned. Did you miss the memo? So we kind of see their relationship. And then when the fantastical elements come in, it's like that layering of tensions we talked about. It's not all at once, but it's very gradual. I really like that. Moving on to some things that might need a second look. I argue with myself on this one too. <laughs> so don't shoot me. So the first few lines didn't make me particularly like the character a whole lot, and that was just I'll just throw that out there as reader reaction. That does doesn't necessarily When I just mean... talked about how
4: good they were. I know, and
1: I'm, I'm I going really to liked them too.
4: <laughs> so I, I like you them too. You're outvoted.
1: So, okay, yeah. No, I accept I accept it. So no, wait, sorry, <laughs> what
4: what didn't you like about those first few lines?
1: No, I like them as lines, but my reader reaction was they didn't make me identify with the character but oh, that's, yeah, that's because you're too
4: nice because <laughs> she's a girl and <laughs> but, has to be likable because i chisha. will fight you on that <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: So I, I like them as lines and as characterization, but the feelings they brought out in me about this character <laughs> were not pleasant. That might the be intentional. intentional. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly.
2: I had a question about her relationship with her brother that I, I don't know got answered, not in the way that I, that I think kind of needs to be right now. There's a line that says, I consider running, but it would be a waste of effort. He's always been able to catch me. And to me, it seemed like a lampshade hanging on the fact like he was dangerous or would hurt her and I Mm -hmm. that's how I took it but I guess a lot of their interaction didn't quite read like that was the situation Mm -hmm. and so I wasn't sure if he was actually someone to be afraid of or just someone who screwed up and we don't like.
0: I felt the same way too. I mean, her first reaction, like her gut reaction to seeing that her brother is there is to run. But then when she actually talks to him, she's just kind of annoyed and like, don't you know you're disowned? Go away, kind of. I was really confused about that dynamic as well. When she finally got away from him, she just kind of moseys on over to English. Well, she has to run because she's late, but she doesn't have any processing feelings. Like I just ran into my brother. I mean, is she worried that something's going to happen with him? Or is she excited she got away from him? Is she relieved? And I'm okay mm-hmm. to not know
2: exactly how he ruined her life, but mm-hmm. she does say that he ruined her life. And so I'm hoping that we get
0: answers
4: to that fairly soon. There are just a few logistical things that I felt were off in this chapter. She's, so she's at school, she puts on this necklace that her brother gives her cause it's pretty and it's shiny. And she's like, whatever, he's always taking money from me. I'll wear this fancy necklace he gives me. But then she talks about how the necklace is giving her headaches and giving her these creepy flashbacks. And instead of just taking it off, she keeps <laughs> wearing the thing. And so it pulls me out of the story because I'm like, well, that's stupid. Why wouldn't you take off this thing that's dangerous and giving you a headache? Because she clearly makes the connection that it is the necklace doing this. So if it pulls me out of the story and makes me say, well, then why don't you just do this? It's doing something wrong.
2: Well, I had the exact same problem, especially because she's wearing a Hogwarts shirt. And I was like, there's an entire plot line in Harry Potter about a necklace that causes problems. <laughs> like, obviously, she doesn't know she's in a story. But my first reaction, even if I was stupid about it, would be like,
0: Yes, a Horcrux. Like, get away from me. So. I noticed that there me a little bit of telling in this mission, and you know you have to do some telling, but here's a couple of examples that I just wish that I had known more how the character was feeling about it, and I wish I could have seen it rather than being told about it. She says her brother gives her a necklace, and then the first side of it makes her jaw drop, and I'm not really sure why it makes her jaw drop, so I really wanted to know, like, what's so cool about this necklace? And then later it says that she gets really awkward around boys, I think. Boys make her squirm, and I wish that we could have just, like, had her go sit with the boys and then watch her squirm, Rather than, like, being told that this is
4: uncomfortable. So that's a little prescriptive. Sorry about that. So I'm going to go full Slytherin on this uh, submission here, being the Slytherin that I am. This doesn't show us anything that we haven't seen before in a story, right? You got a girl, she gets a necklace, some sort of talisman that does something magical... She's in a boring high school situation. There's nothing unique and interesting. So, boom. I would have liked to see something more, something that shows me how this book is different from other contemporary fantasies. And I didn't see that in this.
1: I don't know. I'm sorry, go ahead.
4: I was, yeah, go, go ahead. Go, argue with me. Go.
1: <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. And I think there were some moments of characterization that really sealed it for me. Um, the dynamic between her and her friend, and I can't remember her friend's name, but she says a line. Michelle or something. I'm her best friend, or she's my best friend, but I'm not hers. And um, that wasn't really something I I'd, I'd felt like I'd seen too much in YA. Usually they're besties or frenemies. And, and so I felt like that was very realistic. That's, that's my life. I'm best friends. but
4: <laughs> Let me pose the question. If the plot is the exact same as every other book out there, but the character is different, is that enough? I'm going to say no. Because no. if you were pitching it to an agent or editor and you're like, here's the plot, they're not going to care what the character is like. They're like, no, that's already been done before.
0: So this is coming
4: from someone who works for a literary agent and yeah. has read tons of submissions. Like, I would never request this.
0: I feel like... Oh, that's horrible.
4: No, no I'm just. Um, I just...
0: Think, I think my feeling is that, yes, I can see some of it being a little bit generic, but I do think that if you... Like, characterization and voice for me are what sell a book for me mm-hmm. so like even if a, a plot is kind of similar I mean this goes back to what I was saying about fight scenes that Trisha and I could probably fight about forever maybe that would be an original fight scene <laughs> yeah, <it would. laughs> I feel like it's character motivation and stakes and complicated family situations and relationships and stuff that really sell me on a book and I can see potential for that but I can also see the capacity to give us more to show us how it is different because I believe that it is
4: oh, um, I believe it totally could yeah. be yeah but uh, here's, here's a prescriptive comment. For me as a reader, I want to see how it's different from chapter one. Mm. But you don't necessarily have to do that. But just being only given a chapter one. And that's usually what agents
0: comment. get. And so yeah. that's what they judge. They're going to read yourself. your first five pages. On a
4: smaller scale that I think
2: maybe will give space to show the, um, the uniqueness, I think the conversation between Rita and her brother could be cut down a little bit. I felt yeah. like it mm-hmm. dragged on without really showing us anything new about their conversation or their relationship so if it got shortened to a couple of punchy paragraphs we could get the extra whatever it is that the book has that trisha's looking for and <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah i told I, you i was gonna go slytherin guys <laughs> oh yeah
3: as a slytherin as I as to say I this panel is mostly slytherin
4: Caitlin I'm not, is not a Slytherin. Slytherin.
0: <laughs> and Aaliyah's definitely not. No, yeah. but, but, Aaliyah's like outside of Hogwarts. But She's Kristen, like Sleeping Beauty.
3: <laughs> I was say, but Christian and I are, so it is, it is three on two. Oh, sorry. Well, yeah. but we <laughs> could
0: incredible. totally take you out with
2: well,
1: our Well, nice I'll sense. throw in my two cents then. I, I would keep reading this story. I got chills when Peter, what, what is his name? When yeah, Peter, the keyboard. Peter Q-boy. says that he knows her creepy brother, and he's weirded out that she has the necklace. So I did get chills in that part, and I like that.
3: So maybe this is just me, but I feel like compelling characters is like the hardest thing to do in writing. And I feel like the submission has that, whereas plot uniqueness, which I'm not going to undercut that that's extremely important mm-hmm. for getting sold, but I feel like a, a unique plot is something you can come up with in a couple hours of brainstorming, whereas compelling characters is something that takes years to build the skill for, and then if you're really fast, only months to then put on the page. So I feel like this has a really good start.
1: Mm-hmm. Great comments. And Trisha, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks again for having your me. Love fighting spirit. <laughs> All your information was fantastic. We lucked out that you teach a class and now we get all that information too. If you'd like to have a first critique from the podcast, you can find our submission guidelines on our website, litservicepodcast.wixsite.com slash litnation. If you weren't chosen this week, feel free to submit again for future episodes. Remember, you can watch the video feed of this recording on YouTube, or you can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us ratings, reviews, and comments. It helps others to find the show. If you like us, please share the show with your friends. If you want to ask us questions or tell us we're awesome, you can find us on Twitter at Litservice or on Facebook. Facebook and Instagram at LitServicePodcast, or you can email us at LitservicePodcast at gmail.com. Litservice is brought to you by Writer's Clearinghouse. Writer's Clearinghouse empowers authors and agents by providing low-cost, professional evaluations of entire manuscripts that tell you exactly where your manuscript stands and what you can do to improve it. To learn more, visit www.writersch.com. Listeners of Litservice will receive 20% off an evaluation by using the code Litservice20 at purchase. For Litservice, thanks for listening, and we'll see you into weeks. Special thanks to Jason Akinaka and Neil Oler for our video and sound design.